Welcome to the 1000 Hours Outside podcast. My name is Ginny Urich. I am the founder of 1000 Hours Outside. And I have here today a five-time author, father of four plus a dog, Paul Tony Angoni. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me I on, had to Judy. do it. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> it's like, hey, Tony Angoni. Uh, it's, 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 it has a good ring to it, but I've stuck it with does. Paul my whole life. Yes. I don't know why. Yeah. It's got a different feel to it. Well, Paul, thanks for being here. Congrats on your new book, Listen to Your Day. It's a great book, The Life-Changing Practice of Paying Attention. Of course, this is just such a great fit for our audience, and I loved reading the book. This is number five for you, right? Yeah, number five. It's hard to believe. Uh, I was telling you before, I was I was matching kids with books for a while. So we have four kids. I had four books. Uh, so the fifth book came out, so we had to get a puppy because we don't have any more kids. So uh, so we're still kind of balancing the newborn with the puppy stage. But uh, yeah, yeah it's, a, it's always a, a, a battle, a labor of love, a huge mountain to climb, to write, to edit, to sell a book. So to do it, I have to feel really passionate about the topic right. and usually something out of my own problems, right? Something I'm yeah. struggling with that I'm like, I got to do something about this. And that's how a book usually starts for me. Yeah. So here's the thing. If you write a bunch more books, you're going to be like living in a zoo. See, so you might have to <laughs> maybe, set this maybe, aside. <laughs> maybe we bought a zoo too. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe <laughs> yeah. we'll have to do that. It is a labor of love, but I have a book coming out in November. I've actually not talked about it one time. Well, uh, well, it, it hasn't come up yet, but here we go. It's coming up right here. But the, this is what happened. Cause I love that you wrote in your book about writing and how hard it is. Cause it's really hard for me too. A lot of times you hear people talking about writing they're like, oh, you know, just flows. I'm like, no, oh, yeah. it doesn't for me. But no. I just got my first book endorsements back. And I was like, I should write books just for these book endorsements. Because <laughs> it makes you feel phenomenal. Yes, that's awesome. Well, we congratulations. Books for, for one, <laughs> it's it's an amazing accomplishment. I say everybody should write a book. I know whether, you wrote whether, that. Whether, whether you publish it or not, everybody should write a book. Because it'll be the best and worst experience of your life. Yeah, uh, yeah. But it forces you to put things down on paper, which is a really powerful exercise. Actually put words down too. Yeah. Your thoughts, your feelings, your values, what you really believe. We think we know all these things, but when you actually have to describe it, it's a yeah. totally different experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that part of the book. I really related to it. Okay, I want to start with your bio because you have done so many things and these other books would be great for people who have transitioning adults in their lives. So Nation's most trusted and sought after voices to young professionals. It's really a cool market. And I think that, you know, I'm in the stage where our oldest is 14 years old, but we're heading there. We're heading toward this transition into the 20s. And you really are reaching that audience. The best selling author of 101 Secrets for Your 20s, which I grabbed because I was interested. Oh, awesome. So I got Thank that you. one too. 101 Secrets uh, for Your 20s, 101 Questions to Ask in Your 20s, 25 Lies, 20 Somethings Need to Stop Believing, All Grown Up, which is spelled G R O A N, clever, dynamic keynote speaker at universities, corporations, churches nationwide. You guys live in Denver, Colorado. And you just have been published everywhere. So what a treat to have you on. Well, thank you. Hey, it's an honor being here. I, like I was saying before, I love your guys' stuff. I've been following you guys for a long time. So this is an honor to be able to finally collaborate and connect real time. Yes, cool to connect. Okay, so I read the book and we have to start in the bathtub. <laughs> because I, honestly, Paul, I didn't really know that men took baths. <laughs> <laughs> I looked it up though, 9%. <laughs> 
well, you know, I'm a part of the rare, you know, bats, <laughs> bats really have gone out of the window, so to speak. I mean, bats are just not that popular anymore in general. You know, we watch these HT, HGTV shows, right? The remodeling shows. Yeah. And they're always like, get rid of the bathtub. We don't ever take bats. Um, so it's, I think it's, I think it's actually getting out of the, you know, out of the norm, but yeah, I, I try to be as vulnerable and as authentic as possible <laughs> when writing a book. And so I, you know, there might've been TMI, it might've been too much information, <laughs> but, but I actually wrote, yeah, I mean, I write in the book that I'm actually writing part of the book while in the bathtub. Um, well, tell us and, about uh, that. I mean, how, I don't, you know, in terms of like electrocution, like how exactly well, does that work? Technically I was, I was mainly taking notes on my phone. Uh, so I wasn't technically, I didn't have like a typewriter in the bathtub, <laughs> okay, like okay. going back to like Winston Churchill, uh, style, which I mentioned in the book, because Winston Churchill, he would he would dictate some of his speeches from in the bathtub. I, so I did, but I didn't have you know a secretary outside my door, you know, jotting notes down like Winston Churchill did. But I, I, I tried to really practice what I was preaching in the book. So I really tried to do these habits and practices and exercises where I was slowing myself down, where I was creating these kind of protected spaces of quiet, of silence, of reflection of contemplation. I was really trying to listen to my day while writing the book. And so taking a bath is one of those things where it's really hard to fill yourself with a bunch of noise and distractions uh, while taking a bath. You really have to sit there. And, and I swear, I get a ton of aha moments when I'm taking a bath or, you know, for somebody that's taking a shower, you know, that moment, it's just a calming yeah. moment. And, and it's those ideas start flowing in those kind of moments and that's really the point of the book is that we're losing those moments in our life. We're losing those, what I call those silent silos. We're, mm. we're not protecting those as much. And so I tried to really make it a practice of let me do these kind of things and see what I hear, see what I find. And it was an amazing experience to do that and to create those practices and habits. Wow. Yeah. So there we go. That's something that people can do right off the bat is add baths <laughs> to their life. Man, man or woman. Don't get rid of them. Yeah. You can be part of the rare 9%. You can get the bubbles, the bubbles going, the oils, you can make it smell good. Like men, it's okay. <laughs> I, I'm not ashamed to do it. I played rugby. I played football. I rode horses. I was a cowboy. Like, and I still love like a good frilly bubble bath. So, I mean, I'm, I'm not ashamed to admit it. It's okay. I did read the article that I read about it because I was super curious. It's a 9% of men take baths and it said it's one of the manliest things you can do. There you go. See, but then it didn't really explain why. So I don't know. I don't know. It was it's just a, good a man trying to feel better about his actions by describing it that way, probably. But the point is, is that these are the times and we don't have our screens typically, right? Because it's wet mm -hmm. and you don't want to yeah. ruin your things. There's no television in there usually. And so yeah. these are times for us to slow down, which we have lost. That is one of the big points of the book. So can we talk about silence? You say we have to learn how to make silence a habit, make silence yeah. a habit. So how do you do that besides the bath? Yeah. And this is tough. You know, we don't live in a silent world. We're not monks being pulled away and just uh, living in silence. We live in very noisy, distracted, really unrelenting noise, the noisiest world probably in the history of man and womankind. Um, so it is really difficult. And then if you have four kids, five kids, three kids, one kid, yeah, it's, you know, I, I describe it as like four different radio stations being played in my house, all at like max levels and all playing very different music. 
Uh, that's what it's like hmm. having four kids running around. So it is very noisy. So yeah, we have to be even more proactive than ever to try to include silence into our lives. So that's why I talk about, you know, silent silos. And this doesn't have to be a process of tucking away, going on a retreat, removing yourself far from life. You don't have to do that. You can try to create these spaces even in your daily life. So it could be even jumping in the car or going on the subway, but choosing not to listen to something, not listen to talk radio or music, not listening to a podcast at certain moments, you know, just having that moment where you say, no, I'm just going to sit here and think Mm. it could be in the grocery line. It could be uh, at the airport waiting for a plane. Mm. It's just these moments in your life where you make the conscious choice of, you know, I'm feeling awkward. I'm feeling uncomfortable. I don't actually want to think I'm going to jump on my phone. I'm going to jump on some distraction. It's making the conscious choice to say, no, I'm not going to do that. I just want to think I want to pray. You know, I want to do something that I feel like is more meaningful instead of just having that reflex motion that I need to jump on some device Mm. to fill my mind with some piece of noise. Yeah. I think the problem is, is that it doesn't feel meaningful. It actually feels like it's less meaningful maybe than hopping on and checking the news or checking people's status. But yeah. your book really lays out how meaningful it is that our minds need this time to wander mm-hmm. to the solutions that we're looking for. And that's sort of what our mind does in the bathtub or in these mm-hmm. other places, maybe subconsciously. We have all these things going on. And the mind needs that time. So you're talking about boredom. And mm-hmm. I really like that part of the book that that is a very meaningful way to spend your time and to try and find it in those little spaces. It's It will do a lot for you. And then what about this pressure to be connected? You use the phrase obsessive connection disorder. What's that? Yeah, obsessive connection disorder is something I defined because it's basically this, this reflex uh, reaction, this really this addiction uh, that we're constantly jumping on our phone and needing to connect needing to always be online, needing to get notified by the instant headlines, whatever it is, just constantly needing the now, the immediate. And I need to obsessively do that. And uh, and so that's what ties into also what I, what I define as obsessive comparison disorder. And this is something as well, while we're obsessively connecting, we're obsessively comparing now these snapshots of everybody's lives with our life. And I don't think many of us, you know, I'll ask, I'll go to a speaking engagement and I'll ask the crowd, you know, who of us jumps on Instagram or TikTok or whatever for 30 minutes, uh, 45 minutes, you lose track of time. And then you leave that experience and you think to yourself, man, I feel so much better about my life. Like I feel great. I feel motivated. I feel energized. I feel, I feel better about my body, my house, my kids, my spouse, you know, whatever it is. No, we don't, we don't usually leave that experience feeling better. We usually feel like, man, that was a a waste of my time, or man, I feel depleted uh, Mm. more than I feel uh, energized. And so that's why it is getting to addiction levels, you know, and lots of studies are showing this, you know, we're spending five, six hours a day on our phone with this kind of false sense of connection. And yet we are, the the studies are showing that we're feeling more isolated and alone than ever before. So really, that's a paradox. That shouldn't be. If we're able to connect with anybody all over the world, why do we feel so alone? Why do we feel so isolated? Mm-hmm. And maybe it's because there's not a genuine connection taking place built on authenticity and vulnerability and listening and eye contact. Some of these things that we're losing uh, a little bit with our with our addiction, with needing to jump on obsessively on our phone. Well, yeah, it's interesting because you write about how there's a promise. There's this promise, but there's no substance to it. And Mm -hmm. yet 
none of us really learn that, right? We keep going back to it because the promise is alluring. And for some reason, we're not connecting very well that the promises are falling flat. What do you think some mm-hmm. of the promises of technology are? Well, it's interesting. I actually um, I actually wrote a, a comparison. I was reading uh, the Odyssey and Odysseus, you know, something that we all read, you know, in, in high school English. And I was reading that part toward the sirens you know, that he's going past the, the sirens and he's been warned about these these beautiful women, right, that uh, have such an alluring call uh, that you can't escape it and they'll draw you in, but everybody knows it will kill you. And so Odysseus has his men cover their ears with the, uh, what was it, beeswax or something they can't hear. And then he ties himself down to the mast so he can hear but now he's so tied down, he won't be able to do anything about it. But I thought it was interesting what the sirens promised because the sirens promise that they, they're calling out to Odysseus and they'll say, they say, we'll teach you wisdom. We'll give you love sweeter than honey. The songs we sing soothe away sorrow and in our arms, you will be happy. Odysseus, bravest of heroes, the songs we sing will bring you peace. Wow. And, uh, and I thought that was a, a very alarming and interesting comparison as I was writing this book of, man, I feel like those are a lot of the promises that uh, our social media is providing. Like that's a properly run Instagram account, right? Yeah. Um, that's going to give you all these things. And, I, and I'm not railing against people that are creating content on Instagram. You, you and I are both doing that. Like there's a lot of good life-giving stuff on there. It's more of that realization of, you know, that Instagram, TikTok, these platforms, they're built on trying to capture and retain our time to maximally addicting levels. You know, I have one interview with an engineer uh, in, in, in the book and he called uh, some of the stuff they've created like the infinite scroll, mm-hmm. which is that tech- technology on Instagram where you don't even have to think about going to the next thing on Instagram stories, right? It just scrolls infinitely. So you don't have to make that choice. And uh, this engineer described it as creating behavioral cocaine. Like wow. that was their goal. And so we really have to be mindful of that, that these algorithms, these systems don't have our emotional, mental, spiritual, physical well-being in Mm -hmm. mind. All they want, kind of like the sirens, is to lure us over. And like the sirens, some scholars argue, why why do people, why why did sailors die when they went to the sirens? And some of them argued that uh, the sirens couldn't offer them anything of substance they actually didn't have food or water and anything. So they would be lured over and, and then they would just starve to death. Wow. And, and I wonder how many of us are doing that now where we want to feel filled. We want to be seen. We want to be heard. So we're jumping on these platforms and yet it's not filling that gaping hole, that void. And so now we're feeling more starved than ever. Right. Well, and interesting that, that they had to use these physical outward measures in order to avoid it. The beeswax in the ear, being tied down to the mast. And it almost gives a parallel to how much we have to fight against it, which I think is a lot. And it's a daily battle and something that we have to consistently be looking to to make changes. And then you talk about how we're just, we're missing things. So the phrase that you use is inattentional blindness. You say that sums up the day-to-day of most of our lives. So what are we missing? Yeah, it's, it's really alarming. You know, as I, I've re, uh, researched a lot of studies about this, that psychologists are actually alarmed 
about how little we actually perceive in our day. They thought we were actually more aware than we are, wow. but we actually miss a ton. And I, and I talk about a video that I play at, at speaking engagements and people have probably seen a video like this where uh, there's two teams passing the ball around a team in white and a team in black. And the narrator says, how many passes does a team in white make? And I asked the audience, you know, I want to see who's paying attention. I want to see how smart the room is. So really mm -hmm. focus in on this. And, and so everybody's counting the passes as the teams are circling around the screen. And then the narrator says, the answer is 13. That's how many passes were made. And the audience cheers. And I say, oh, you guys got it right. Congratulations. And then the narrator stops the video and it says, but did you see the moonwalking bear? And then the video back, you know, backtracks and they show that this full-size man in a bear costume moonwalks across the entire screen, but nobody sees it because we're not paying wow. attention for that. And, and really that's what studies show is that we only see what we are choosing to see, what we have chosen to pay attention to. So paying attention is a choice. It's not something that we do passively that we just, you know, all of a sudden now we just notice all these things, you know, we really couldn't function that way. We'd be way too distracted. So we actually choose our mind is making choices. So we're telling our minds, Hey, this is what I want us to pay attention to. And so that's, what's so even powerful about that exercise is that the narrator is directing the attention, in the video through a question. That's it. The narrator is asking a simple question and then that's directing. So everybody's laser focused on that. Yeah. And so that's why I even talk about, you know, some of the solutions when we're, when we're going into, well, okay, how do we change things? It could be something simple like that. Asking yourself a question when you wake up pertaining to a goal, pertaining to your purpose or what you want to accomplish for that day. Like why is your day richly important today? Start with a question and ask yourself yeah. that question. Like, you know, how do, how do I do this today? How do I do that? How do I spend more, you know, meaningful time doing this? And basically now you're giving your brain a map. You're giving your brain a narrowed focus, mm -hmm. which in today's age, we need more than ever. We don't need yeah. to see and experience more necessarily. We actually mm -hmm. need to get that discipline to narrow our focus so that we can harness and hone in on what is actually important to us. Hmm. And that's how we're going to make progress in every aspect of our life. I have been looking for simple ways to form healthy habits and get the nutrients my body needs when my immune system feels unsupported. And that's why I decided to give AG1 a try. Not only does AG1 deliver my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics and more, but it's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day. And it makes me feel nourished and ready to face the day. As a parent, longevity is on my mind more than ever before. I wanna make sure I'm taking really good care of myself so I can continue to show up for the moments that matter with my kids. Every day, AG1 helps me build long-term health with daily nutrients that support brain, gut, and immune health. All it takes is one scoop a day, and I'm setting myself up for the long run. AG1 is a supplement I trust, to provide the support my body needs daily. And that's why I'm excited to welcome them as a new partner. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3K2 and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com 1000. That's 
drinkag1.com slash 1000. Check it out. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Question, what's the first thing you do if you had an extra hour in your day? Read a few chapters of that book, start painting that guest bedroom, tackle that pile of laundry, play a card game with your kids. A lot of us spending our lives wishing we had more time. The question is, time for what? If time was unlimited, how would you use it? The best way to squeeze that special thing into your schedule is to know what's important to you and make it a priority. If you're feeling stuck, therapy is something that can help you find what matters to you so you can do more of it. Therapy is a wonderful thing. It can help you learn positive coping skills or show you how to navigate properly setting boundaries. With BetterHelp, it's easy to get started. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. It's entirely online and designed to be convenient. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try and visit BetterHelp.com slash 1000 hours to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash 1000 hours. You had a really cool quote in there from Wendell Berry that I hadn't read before mm. where he said, settle for less, enjoy it more. That was the mm. end of it. It was a really cool quote. So yeah, I like that. And then you talk about how you say, I would argue that the most successful and fulfilled people, which th- those are two really big words, mm-hmm. to be successful and fulfilled mm-hmm. at the same time, the most successful and fulfilled people on this earth are simply better at paying attention to what's important. Mm-hmm. That's a big statement. You know, it is, you know, but but I think this is the bloodline of our life, you know, and especially now. You know, and and really, we we applaud experts in our day and age. You know, we love experts, and, and really, and I make the case that really, that's all an expert is. An expert is somebody who has just narrowed their focus onto what they find important, and they're willing to go at deeper levels and spend more time uh, studying this thing more than anybody else. And now they're the go-to person because they know more about it than anybody else does. Uh, but you, you're right. I do think that the most successful and fulfilled people have really just learned. They've trained themselves. They've built habits and practices to mm. focus in on what's important to them. So that doesn't right. mean just what's important because what's important is wildly different for all of us. Yeah. So it's, it's honing in on then, you know, some simple questions like, you know, what are your, what I call soul values? Mm. You know, what are the values that are deeply entrenched in you in the way that you're hardwired in your yeah. story, the way you were raised, you know, what are these values and literally rank them from one to five. I had a mentor that challenged me to do this, a, a gentleman named Ray Rude, and it was an incredibly difficult exercise. I thought it'd be a lot easier to like rank. Mm. I know what my values are. But it was really hard to actually put it down on paper and rank it like this is number one. This value trumps all other values when you're met with a hard decision, when you're met with a crossroad in your life. What are the values that you're going to hold to? So that's why it is, you know, when people can focus then on those values, on your why, your purpose, then you can focus in on that and feel fulfilled. You don't have to feel so fragmented and distracted and busy. And, oh, I got to look at this. I got to look at that. Like that dog, you know, that's looking at every squirrel running across the fence. You can just say, no, I'm going to focus in on this because this is too important. Like this is too important to look away. Like all this other stuff now, it's just digital junk food. It's just the sirens calling me. Like I can't go there. And not just because I don't want to be distracted, but because what I'm focusing in on is so crucial to my family, to my business, to my mental health, whatever is important to you. So then you'll have a new focus, a new purpose where now your purpose is worth paying attention to. Our purpose has to be worth paying attention to because if it's not, then we'll just be, again, living 
intentionally unintentional Mm -hmm. and wasting too much Mm -hmm. of our day uh, every day. That's a good reason to pick this book up. The most successful and fulfilled people on the earth, better at paying attention to what's important. It's a big statement. And that's what the book is about, is how to learn how to pay attention. And you talk in there about how even back in the 50s, the manufacturers and the different business people, you talk about Vance Packard, yeah, were trying to grab our attention back in the 50s and how yeah, much things yeah. have changed. I found it alarming. You know, I was I was looking up different research and I found a book, The, the Hidden Persuaders by Vance Packard. Uh, and he was talking about, you know, he's basically talking about the advertising industry, how uh, advanced they were getting, sophisticated. And he talked wow. about, you know, one of the, the greatest almost evils or things that he was alarmed by is that they were invading the privacy of our minds, that advertising and marketing was invading the privacy of our minds. And he thought that was something that we have to be alarmed about and talk about and maybe protect because he felt like everybody has the right for the privacy of their own minds. You know, it almost feels like a sci-fi movie, right? Like the swamp thing or like the tentacles, like some bad movie is kind of coming into our brains. But I I found that so alarming that Vance was writing this in the 1950s. Yes. You know, really change. Like you're right, like who wakes up and is like, hey, I want to be manipulated today, you know, <laughs> yeah, but we all right. are. That's what's yeah. happening to all and of it's us. It's wild and the sophistication has gone through the roof. Where it's yeah. not these it's not the madmen in a room with the ties drinking, trying to figure out how to manipulate right. us. You know, so I do it. I call it the ma- I call it master manipulators. Yeah. Interestingly, what's happening is we're being drawn in by the brilliance of each other. It's almost like mm. that's what they've done. They've yeah. used the human brilliance and the human creativity because these people that I follow online on Instagram or different places, they're brilliant. They're yeah. brilliantly creative. They are actually paying very close attention, some of these people, to you know what makes them tick and they're coming out with beautiful solutions and creative mm-hmm. ideas and things that anyone can use. And so then that's what they're using. They don't even yeah. have to come up with their own content. Yeah, They just and are if, tapping it, into our own. And it would probably be better for all of us if we just watched one of those videos, if we watched one of your videos or got inspired or got, you know, good, some great information. And we just stopped right there and just said, Hey, you know, how do I, how do I apply this now to my life? Mm-hmm. Like, how do I pull one thing out and actually do something with this new information we got? Right. And I think that's where it becomes, you know, a slippery slope, so to speak, is I think a lot of the times we've kind of tricked ourselves in that more and more information is going to lead to more and more wisdom. Hmm. And I think that is a little bit of a slippery slope because wisdom is really information applied correctly. And I think that's where we get stuck in is we just want more. You know, now we're in that cereal aisle, you know, of all the choices. Mm-hmm. And it's like, now we're ripping off corners of, of, okay, let me get cocoa puffs. I'm going to rip off a corner right here in the aisle and I'm going to pour some in my mouth. Okay. That was really good. Maybe I should buy that. No, I got to try fruity pebbles first, or maybe I need something healthy. I'm going to pour that in. And so we're in the aisle for two hours, tasting everything without making a decision or acting. Yeah. And then feeling sick, right? And (laughs) And then then feeling feeling sick sick and and unfulfilled. You would feel like junk after doing something like that. It's a good parallel. I think a really good one. And just interesting that back in the day, it would have been content creators behind the scenes that are making the commercials that are making the ads and now we are all the content creators Mm -hmm. and somehow they're using that to capture our time and attention and sell it to marketers so really interesting things and then you go into the second part of your book with these different mindset models grab the mindset of a farmer grab the mindset of an entrepreneur grab the mindset of a writer 
grab the mindset of a consultant or a monk or an investigator. Can mm-hmm. you pick one, one of the mindsets that we could talk about, one of the six? Yeah, you know, I, I wanted to create these mindset models, and it's really been a powerful practice for me because, you know, we sometimes we're like, well, I wish I could think like they think. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, yeah, we can, we can practice that, you yeah. know, paying attention can be something we practice. It's a skill. It's a discipline. It's a habit. And I think it's the, one of the most important disciplines now more than ever. Yeah. So yeah, for one of them, like the entrepreneur mindset model, you know, I never thought I would be an entrepreneur, but I kind of fell into being an entrepreneur, I guess, by being a writer and a speaker, you kind of have to do it all, right? You got to learn all the skills. But I thought as interesting as you research and study entrepreneurs is one way that they think differently or one way that they pay attention differently is they really pay attention to their problems, Hmm. but they don't pay attention in a way that they want to complain about their problems or Hmm. medicate away from their problems. Their problems could be a pathway to a product, to profit, to a solution, because now they're seeing something that they can do about that problem. And so I even detail some of the stories. Like the ring, the the ring one. Oh, what in the world? He sold that for a billion dollars. I had no idea. Not a bad payday. Yeah. And he went, it's funny. uh, What's his Jamie? And I can't remember his last name right on the spot, but uh, he was in the garage and I think he was working on like a gardening startup, like outdoor products. And of course he was in his garage because it's like every good entrepreneur has to be in their garage. Like that's one way, if you want to pay attention, like an entrepreneur, you got to work in the garage. Um, (laughs) But he was working in his garage and he was missing the delivery man with all these important packages because the doorbell would ring and he couldn't hear it. And it was wow. a problem and he was frustrated by that. And so he thought, well, there, I got there must be a solution for this. Like I'm, I'm going to buy the, the doorbell that shows me a camera so I can actually see people coming up. And then he realized that doesn't exist. So there goes the gardening startup. Here comes the yeah. ring doorbell. Funny enough, Jamie went on Shark Tank, you know, one of the famous you know TV shows for the startup entrepreneur. Uh, and he got denied on Shark Tank. He did not get an investor. Well, he called it Doorbot. And it's yeah. interesting how the name change. Yeah. I, and I really, I would be curious. I wonder what that story is. I wonder if that story is out there about why he changed the name. Because Ring is a brilliant name. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it was going through those rounds of failure, you know, and that's a whole nother story of going through all the rounds of failure to hone in and clarify, you know, to refine the idea, but to feel like, okay, but this is so important. Like, I know there's something there. Like this is a problem I've experienced. And so I'm passionate about this, you know, and that's what entrepreneurs really do. And that's what all of us do. You know, that's what a mom does. That's what a pastor does. That's what a teacher does is they get so passionate again about something, some problem because they've gone through it themselves. A lot of therapists have gone through something really hard in their life that they had overcome. And now they want to help others with that. So it's that same principle. So today, you know, I encourage people when they're practicing the entrepreneurial mindset is look at your problems today, really focus in on your problems, but not something to complain about, but Hey, what is a solution now you can create to alleviate that problem? And uh, let's focus on that. And so I have a lot of room in the book to write, you know, it's not just a book to read. It's a, it's really a workbook as well so that people are writing their own answers and, yeah. and revelations and ideas as it's getting sparked. Yeah. Well, and I think another thing in the entrepreneur section then is that it did take five years and you look, you read a sentence that says five years later, he sold <laughs> yeah. the ring for five, for a billion dollars. Yeah. But you, well, five years is actually really a very long time. And if yeah. you go on Shark Tank with your door bot and you get rejected, to have kept up with it for five more years, yeah. 
is actually as a long time and it shows a lot of commitment. And you talk about the same thing that I don't know the exact story, but 10 years to get your book published. Tell, yeah. So same thing. It's like you're tenacious with it. Yeah. And I think that's part of the entrepreneurship mindset. So well, tell us your story then. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I have the phrase that it takes about 10 years to create an overnight success. Yeah. And I think that's pretty true. If you hear a lot of stories, it's, it's amazing that it, it's usually in that 10 year range. Of, yeah. of really pushing against something. And sometimes it happens quicker for some of us. I mean, that's how ours was. Well, ours see, was exactly. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and it's actually a gift. You know, when you, when you look back on it, you see it as a gift. When yeah. you're going through it, you don't. You know, and that's when I, you know, I describe going through that season of my life where I was basically getting rejected by every publisher around. Wow. And I, I wanted to write to 20-somethings initially, and that's what my first books were about because I really felt like it was a unique time in our life a defining mm -hmm. decade, as uh, author Meg Jade uh, talked about, where you're making all these huge decisions, you're going through a lot of transition, and yeah. it's really scary and unnerving. And where do you go? What do you do? And, and a lot of 20-somethings really struggle in that decade. Yeah. And I did. So that's, again, why I was passionate. We went to all these publishers for that one email to come back that says, yes, your, your life has changed, right? Mm -hmm. Like you've done the work, and we love it. Here, let's change your life. And that email never came. I, I never got the yes. And so I used to do what I, what I described. I was living in LA at the time. I was just getting, I was getting rejected by every publisher around. I would go above the Hollywood sign uh, in LA because that's where I was living at the time. And I would just go up there and I would war for hope. Yeah. And, and what I meant to me for that is I, you know, I would pray, you know, praying is a big part of my life, but I was just saying, you know, I do have a future. Like I do have a hope. Yeah. Like my story does not end here. I haven't missed my chance with this rejection, you know, and I think that's a lie we buy into. And that's, that's my other book, 25 lies, you know, really that we all believe, but this lie of I've, I've missed my chance, like it's over for me. You know, and I tell it, I tell a quick story. I won't do the whole story, but I tell a story in that book of a heavy metal musician who uh, gets their first album out released and, uh, and the album's a total flop, total failure. So this gentleman goes into an exile. He goes to LA kind of like me, He's playing mm -hmm. in all these dingy, dirty piano bars and uh, and rediscovering his love for piano. So getting away from heavy metal and uh, and it's in that that place that he created his first hit song called The Piano Man, uh, which is Billy Joel, who's sold more albums than Madonna and Bruce, Springs, Bruce Springsteen and one of the top selling artists of all time. But he really, for a while, was believing this lie that I've I've missed my chance. Like it's wow. over for me, which was totally not true. He was just learning what it meant to be truly Billy Joel, you know, he was learning what his signature sauce is. You know, that's what I describe it. You know, these flavors that we all bring to create this sauce, this substance that the world really needs, Yeah. but it takes times and it takes those failed experiments and everything going up in flames for you really to get down to, okay, this is it. This is the substance. And this is the substance really worth fighting for. Like right. this is really worth sacrificing for, because it is so important to me that it's something that I cannot not do. And I think that is an important place to people to come to when you find that thing that it's something you cannot not do. And that's when you know you're really passionate about something because you're going through all the failure that that other people, other sane people wouldn't go through because it's mm -hmm. something they, that's not as important to them. I love how you write failure is a great clarifier. Mm -hmm. That sentence yeah. covers it, right? For Billy yep. Joel. Actually, Piano Man, I play the piano. That's one of my favorite songs oh, to there, play. There How go. interesting. Wonderful. I didn't know that I didn't know that was the backstory at all. Yeah. <laughs> How interesting. So then you have these other mindsets like the farmer 
and the writer. And I thought was interesting about the farmer about the timing is important. Mm -hmm. You pick if it's a weak difference between when you pick the tomato and and don't pick it. I know you're a big gardener, so yeah. you have a lot of gardening references throughout the book, and yep. it's the same action, right? It takes the same amount of time. Yep. It's the same, same motions, but one is going to be a failure, and one is going to be a great success. You can make you're all right. sorts of stuff with it, and so that week can make a difference. Timing is so crucial, and it's again, it's even a healthy reminder too that you can put all the seeds in the ground, water it, sunshine, all this stuff, but in the end, like life is going to spark underground, really without your uh, knowledge or expertise. And sometimes yeah. it won't like you can only do so much. And there's yeah. so many factors that go into it, but you do have to stay faithful. And mm -hmm. I just got to keep watering it and I got to keep preparing the soil, you know, and that was another part of that farmer's mindset is that the health of the whole is really going to be only as healthy as the soil. And I referenced the documentary, what is it? The big little farm, mm -hmm. which is a, uh, which is a fun one to watch. And it's really about that, that it starts with the health of the soil and that everything is connected. You know, you're in this ecosystem. So it's really the health of the whole um, that's yeah. important. So if you make one decision, if you pull out one thing, well, that's going to affect other things. So it's just right. more of a, again, a way to look at our life. I think the gardening references are so good and you, and you have them woven throughout the book, you know, just some things take longer to grow than others. And so there's so many lessons that we can learn out there in the garden. Some things pop up quick and some things take a really long time before I mean, a pineapple tree, there's different things. It takes several years. So I think that's yeah. a, a great connection. If you're looking at life like a farmer, like a writer, like a consultant, what is it you say you do here? I mean, this is these are great. I love that yeah. end of the book, how you go through these different mindsets and to think about your life in a different way. So it's just a fantastic book. I Everyone wants to start their year off on the right foot. And for me, that means making sure I'm eating well and have enough energy to do everything I want to do. But I'm not going to run to the butcher every day to get a fresh cut of quality meat. That's why Good Chop is such a lifesaver for our family. Good Chop offers fully customizable boxes of high-quality meat and seafood delivered to your door on your schedule. Their products are vacuum-sealed and frozen at peak freshness, so you can stock your freezer and cook when you want. We had a somewhat last-minute get-together recently, and it was so incredibly convenient to just head to the freezer and pull out a couple bags of Good Chops hamburger patties to whip up some burgers quickly. They were so delicious. Besides being delicious, it's important to know it won't cost you a fortune either. Good Chops' price per meal starts at just $3.74. Go to goodchop.com outside120 and use code OUTSIDE120 to get $120 off across your first four boxes. That's code outside120 at goodchop.com slash outside120 for $120 off. Goodchop.com slash outside120 code outside120. When the skies open up while others seek shelter, I embrace the rain. Heading to my favorite hike, the raindrops are like a soothing melody, and my vessies ensure each step is dry and comfortable, turning a simple outing into a rather delightful experience. Whenever my kids and I are stepping into a great outdoors adventure, I love wearing Vessi's Stormburst boots to capture the beauty of springtime landscapes. Their robust style is perfect for our nature excursions, adding a little dash of elegance to our outdoor explorations. This spring, transform how you view wet weather with Vessi. Their Dymatex technology makes their shoes not just waterproof, but a stylish barrier against rain and puddles. 
Whether it's a sudden downpour or a planned seaside walk, Vessi shoes ensure your feet stay dry and comfortable. Embrace the essence of spring with Vessi. From chic city walks to adventurous treks, find the perfect pair for your lifestyle at Vessi.com outside and enjoy an automatic 15% off your first order upon checkout. That's V-E-S-S-I dot com slash outside for 15% off your first order. There was a, a topic that was in both Listen to Your Day and 101 Secrets for Your 20s mm. that I really loved. And it's this part about feeling embarrassed, this awkwardness. Mm. It's in both books. Yeah. And so I really love this. You say the possibility for greatness and embarrassment both exist in the same place. So yeah. we're dealing a lot with this awkward, embarrassed. And you tell in the book about the 20s, of 101 Secrets for Your 20s, this story about winning a guitar. <laughs> but you didn't do it. So can yeah, you tell exactly. us that story? Yes. Yeah, it was, a, it was a 4th of July celebration in San Diego. I was with my family. And uh, I decided to ride my bike kind of away from the group. I was just going to go check some things out at this, this festival. And I, I stumbled into a Beach Boys cover band concert, like any good 4th of July festival should have. Mm-hmm. There was a big crowd. I mean, probably 500,000 people sitting on the grass watching the show. And I roll up on my bike and I'm close to the stage. And it's the end of the show. And so the singer says, hey, we're going to have a contest to give away this amazing guitar. And it's for the first five people that get to the stage to have an air guitar contest up on stage. Uh, and so we're gonna pick the first five to get up here. Everybody go now. And so it was that moment where I'm, I'm like the closest person to the stage. I couldn't have rolled up at a better time. And I'm starting moving forward. I'm like, I should totally do this. What a cool story. If I went away on my bike and now I'm coming back with this amazing guitar, <laughs> yes. like that's an epic story. Every rider is good looking for those epic stories. And uh, I take a few steps and then I looked at the crowd and I remember just that fear or that, you know, that sense of, ah, oh, do I, uh, I don't want to embarrass myself. Hmm. Uh, do I really want to do this? Paul, maybe you should hold on for a second. Let's think about this. <laughs> right. And uh, as I'm debating and contemplating, you know, five people get up there in a flash, they beat me to it. So then I sat there in the grass and I watched these people do this air, con- air guitar contest. And I remember thinking to myself, like I was, ju- I was judging these people, of course. Yeah. And I was like, oh, they're terrible. Like, oh, they're <laughs> acting so embarrassed. Like they just got to go for it. Like, you know, I can't mm. believe them. And then it was like dawning on me, like, hey, Paul, come, who are you to say anything about these people? Yeah, it's easy to critique them while sitting in the third row because you were too mm-hmm. scared to go up there. But they're yeah. at least up there. And so that's when that realization hit me, you know, the possibility for greatness and embarrassment, they both exist in the same space, you know, and if you're really mm. wanting to do something great, you have to equally be willing to embarrass yourself in the process. And so yeah. now, yeah, I've jumped on stage many a times now to speak and uh, to do different keynote talks. And there, there is always that real fear. It still exists yeah. of, wow, I'm getting in front of a lot of very smart people. Am I going to embarrass myself? Is it going to go well? What's going to happen? You know, but that's okay. You know, and we have to embrace that sense of awkwardness and feeling uncomfortable. Because again, I think that's something we're really losing in our culture where we don't have to feel awkward or uncomfortable at all because I'll just quickly escape. I'll take a digital hit from my cigarette, you know, my phone, which will ease that anxiety instead of just sitting in that space, being awkward and seeing what happens. You know, I call them not so chance encounters. Mm -hmm. So they're not chance encounters. I call them not so chance encounters because the odds 
that you're sitting next to this person in the plane are wild. They're like trillion to one that you guys are there in history together and you have a chance to talk. And I, I just, I, I at least want us to be open to that opportunity of what could happen here. Like what amazing yeah. gift could be given to me today instead of just always running away from that. So that's why, that's why I wrote about the, that embarrassment, that fear of that awkwardness. Um, mm-hmm. Sometimes we just got to embrace it and let ourselves be awkward. Yeah. And know that then you get these unexpected rewards or these unexpected experiences. I think that's a good message for our kids too, that mm-hmm. we let them have awkward time mm-hmm. because you're right. We've had it's the death of awkward. We removed any awkward spaces and pauses throughout the day. We're escaping. And so then we we don't have experience with it. Mm -hmm. And I would agree with you. I think that when things are the scariest, then that's when the biggest rewards come. And they're unexpected. You really don't know. I speak too, and I get super nervous. My Uh 13-year-old daughter says every time, Mom, are you so excited? I say, no, I'm not (laughs) at all excited. I'm incredibly nervous. Yeah. But you say... And I love this. It's a big statement for me. I've learned in a sense to be comfortable in the fear. You made peace with it because mm-hmm. you have this. It's not really a heart knowledge, but it's this head knowledge. It doesn't feel good, but you know in your head that this was worth it last time. Mm-hmm. So this will be worth it the next time. And, you know, and we're impacting people. And we're making connections and, and we're growing in our own lives. And so I love in both books that it kind of ties together. I was curious because you wrote this book, 101 Secrets for Your 20s, in 2013. Yeah. So then are people asking for you to write one for the 30s? <laughs> I have gotten asked that. I have uh, many times. And it's interesting. I'm, I'm, I'll come clean. I'm 39 right now. So did you write the other one when you were 29? Yeah, that's when it came out. It came out a few months before my birthday when I turned 30. And it was, and it was through all the failure and rejection and obstacles. I was oh. trying to get another book published. My other book called All Grown Up. Uh, I was trying to get that book published, kept getting rejected, denied, lost my literary agent, you know, gave that up, started over, started a wow. website, tried to reach my audience. And I wrote one article called 21 Secrets to Your 20s. And uh, yeah. after eight years of struggle and striving and trying to connect with people, that article took off, mainly through Pinterest. People were sharing it like crazy on Pinterest. Thank you, Pinterest. See, so social media changed my life. Pinterest changed my life. I wasn't even on Pinterest at the time. I was not even there, but it was crashing my website. And it was just that tipping point moment, you know, where where I brought all this fodder, all this kindling, right? That's what Mm -hmm. we're doing. We're bringing kindling all the time. And we're just, we're lighting matches to see if this will spark a fire to warm people as it's warmed us. And, uh, and then that's what happened with the 101 Secrets Your 20s. Which turn into a trio of books. There's yeah, three books. 101 questions you need to ask in your 20s. 25 lies. 25 lies. Uh, you know, and it, it's been a, a long kind of perennial growth for those books where they've just kept growing every year. It's been a weird wow. kind of weird progression for books. books yeah, usually- but it, you know, it's interesting. It's, it's one of those things I think that, you know, 10 years in modern technology is actually a very long time, a lot of change. And so mm-hmm. I would imagine that it continues to be more and more relevant. People yeah. are more and more lost and trying to find their way. And like you said, those are pivotal years. A lot changes in your 20s. Interesting too. You know, I've had some books, you know, translated in different languages. I had a, two of the books, 101 Secrets, 101 Questions, they got bootlegged in for Iran. So bootlegged copies, I don't make any money. You can't do a sanctioned deal with Iran. So this publisher right. just goes and, and they're doing it because they want to get good books, especially into uh, women's hands in, in Iran. 
And mm-hmm. so I signed off on it. I said, go, go ahead, bootleg it. Like, I don't see this happening, but just like, go do it. But it's been amazing. You know, I, so now I have all these Iranians who are like some of my favorite, best, most engaged, passionate fans who are being reached and impacted and finding hope through these books. So that's wild to me, just from an impact standpoint or from a message standpoint, like we have no idea, the ripples, you know, we have no idea where it's all going to go. It's the truth. No idea. And that's why you have to hit that cross section, I think, of awkward and greatness that we don't know where it's going to go. And then you got to, and then you got to let it all go, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Like you can't, your, your worth, your identity can't be clinging so tight to the Mm -hmm. back of your work. Hmm. Like we got to just do the best work we can. And I kind of visualize like a kid trying to like walk a rhinoceros. Like that's what I feel like we're trying to do sometimes. Like I've tamed this rhinoceros and I've done the work and I'm going to hold on really tight as then he's taking off, you know, and dragging us through all these kind of things or we lose control. So we can't have our worth and our identity so clinging so tight to the perceived outcome because we label something as success or failure so quickly, which Hmm. those words just need to get thrown out. Because we only really know if it's failure or success through like the lens of eternity. Like that's when we can see the full picture, which we won't, uh, at least not on this earth. So maybe we should throw those words out where we're like, oh, that was a failure. That was success. And just be like, it it is what it is. Like I did the best I could with it. And who knows, maybe 10 years from now, it's going to make an impact. And I have no idea. I'm going to sell it for a billion (laughs) dollars. That's right. I'm going to change it from doorbot to ring. I'm going to get rejected on national television. I'm almost, I'm going to go bankrupt. I'm going to be up to my eyes in debt. And that's going to be the moment when life changes. You know, yeah. that, that, that's the story that most of us experience. Yeah. Well, what a book, Paul. It well, is so inspiring and a lot to think about. I have one more question because you said it's a long story, but then you didn't share the story. Oh, no. And so then I was curious about it. And you said it was a long story and short stories. Tell us about being in commercials. Like, can you give us like a brief, like a real quick, your family has been in commercials now. Yes, I did talk about that in my new book. I forgot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we the last four years, it's been a fun, wild experience. So we've been in a, lots of different commercials together as a family, and we've gotten to travel all over the place doing it. And uh, it's weird. It's a lot of work. You audition at, at home, you self-tape. Uh, you used to go to a casting director's office pre-COVID, Mm-hmm. And you would, you would uh, audition in front of people in this like room, and it was kind of terrifying. Yeah. But now you do it all at home, which is great because you can really make it look good and see how mm-hmm. it's working, but it just takes a lot of time. And yeah. so, uh, so I'm like a part-time video editor is like my fifth or sixth job. I don't know what how many jobs I have yeah. at this point, but it's just a really fun way. You know, my wife and I wanted to do like Paul and Naomi Incorporated, where we got to do life and work together. Like that was always kind of a goal of ours. Like, can we do family and work and everything? Like, let's just do it all together. And uh, so this commercial world has been a blessing and that allows us adventures to do together as a family. And now my kids are making money for themselves. You know, you used to have a bunch of kids to work the farm, you know, but now I'm gonna have a bunch of kids, they can work commercials, you know, and then make money for themselves. Uh, Because daddy is not saving the college funds were pretty limited on daddy's mm-hmm. end. So, so now they get to do it for themselves. So it's been a fun, fun, a weird thing, but also a fun, fun experience to be involved in. And they get to build connections and see the world. That's really awesome. Yeah. Okay. I'm you. glad to hear the story. I like hearing the story. It was, it was in the book yeah. and it was a little bit of a cliffhanger for me, but I was like, oh, I get to talk to him. So I'm going to ask 
if you jump on Instagram, sometimes I throw some of these commercials on there. So if people are yeah. really intrigued, you can find some of them. I'll post more of yeah, some of post these. more. They're super cool. So, and you'll say, oh, I'm this place. We're traveling. You're yeah. going for these different commercials. Yeah, it's been. Yeah, we were just in the Dominican Republic uh, last month doing a commercial for the Hard Rock Resort. You know, so wow. we were the resort family at in Dominican. You know, it's a hard life, you know, to get paid to go. <laughs> So, to yeah, be I, the I, resort I, family. I get, I, get, I get worried about sharing too much. People are like, oh my gosh, Paul, geez, look at this guy. You but know, it's a lot of work. I mean, this is a lot it, of work. Like you said, tough. it's a lot it's, of work. Yep. I mean, picture traveling, vacationing with four kids, but now you're all working. Yes. Uh, yeah. It's a different kind of experience, but but nothing you can complain about. It's not a bad way to make make a buck too. Yeah. And this is part of your journey, your entrepreneurship journey yep. that includes all of these different pieces. Paul, you talk in this book about nature, which is cool. And people can read that. Talk about Wendell Berry and you talk about mm -hmm. nature quite a bit in here about nature as a healer, nature as a place to go where you can kind of let your mind go. So we always yeah. end our podcast, Paul, with the same question. And the question is what's and it's kind of some of it's in the book. What's a favorite outdoor memory of mm. yours from childhood? Oh, from childhood. That's a really good question. Gosh, I have a lot of favorite memories from childhood. I guess one of them, I mean, it's kind of childhood, but but in college, so I was young-ish, mm -hmm. I worked as a wrangler uh, at a ranch in the in the Rocky Mountains. So uh, for some uh, summers, we would work like 70, 80 hours, lived in a bunkhouse with a bunch of smelly dudes, uh, a lot of manure everywhere, because uh, we're taking care of all these mules and horses. But uh, we would just take people on rides, horseback rides, and throughout all these places in the Rocky Mountains. And um, and there was times too where my boss, he was the president of the Colorado Mule Association. And so we would take all these mule trips uh, to pack in like forest workers who are working on trails, where really that's still the most effective way to get in supplies is to do it with mules, with packs. Uh, wow. So it felt like we were flashing back, you right, to the 1800s. And mm -hmm. with the miners, you know, getting them deep into the forest. And yeah, it's an amazing experience to experience nature in that way, to yeah. feel like, oh man, nobody's been here in maybe ever. Um, wow. and, and it's so important to our minds and our, our souls and everything to have, to, to find some of those experiences, however you can. So for now, for me, I go on a 45 minute hike almost every day while I'm working. I have this spot, I get there and it's it's part of my day. I, I, I schedule that in and wow. I go and I don't listen to anything and I just go in nature and I hike. And it's the most productive hour of my day because I'm getting all these ideas, I'm getting energized. So it's so important for all of us. So that was one for me, getting to have yeah. that kind of experience was amazing and epic. Yeah, and who even knew that there was a Colorado Mule Association? There's so many cool <laughs> things out there. So, Paul, this is a fantastic book. It's called Listen to Your Day. It comes out April 4th, The Life-Changing Practice of Paying Attention. It will be available by the time this podcast goes live. I think people will love it. You have three other books about the 20s, 101 Secrets for Your 20s. These would be great gifts for any graduate. We're coming up into graduate season. Yeah. Buy that trio of books, 101 Secrets for that 18 year old. This is what they need to know. 101 Secrets for Your 20s, 101 Questions to Ask in Your 20s and 25 Something Lies. And then you also have All Grown Up. And this is grown, G-R-O-A-N, All Grown Up. I like it. You got on your website, like this, the O is like a groaning face. It's real clever. <laughs> so allgrownup.com. And people can find you on Instagram and Twitter at Paul Angoni, A-N-G-O-N-E, Paul Angoni. And you also have a podcast, All Grown Up, the All Grown Up yeah. podcast. 
correct with 19 episodes, hope, heart, and hilarity. Really great things about why failure is a lie, why nothing good can come out of this, that's a lie, important strategies to building better relationships. So you have a lot out there that people can dive into. And congrats on congrats on book five. Wow. I really hey, appreciate thank you. you being on. And yeah, and congrats on your new book. I'm glad I'm, I'm a kind of, <laughs> I feel honored and privileged. <laughs> you did drop that. I know you didn't talk about it, but I remember you dropping that. You name dropped that thing. <laughs> And I want to congratulate you and say, and, and we're with <laughs> the same, embarrassing. And, we're, and we're with the same publisher too. I'll go ahead and say that Baker publishers, shout out to yes. Baker, right? Baker so, is fantastic. Uh, you're fantastic yeah. to work with. You're in great hands. Let me just say it's a great team. It's family over there. So congratulations to you. I, it's such a labor of love. It is. It's every step of the way. It's kind it of this is. feeling of like, can I do this? Like, is right. this possible? Um, so congratulations. I'm excited to see that book come out. <laughs> I don't know. I probably shouldn't have used someone else's podcast episode. No, well, I mean, I, yeah, I know you might have to edit this part out, but if you don't, congratulations. <laughs> oh, Paul, this has been great. I hope it's a fantastic launch week for you. And I know that this book will continue to be relevant in the years to come. Uh, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks, Jenny. Real truth alert, pregnancy, birth, and having a baby isn't all sunshine and rainbows. I wish it were, but the reality is that many people struggle and suffer through this time without the right help or even knowing what they're dealing with. I'm perinatal psychologist, Dr. Katayun Kayani, also known as Dr. Kat. My podcast, Mom in Mind, aims to shine a light on the difficult reality that so many hopeful and new parents experience and raise the volume on how we can better support mental health, which is a big part of our overall health. Episodes include personal stories from people who have healed through things like pregnancy and postpartum anxiety, depression, PTSD, and so much more. I also talk with specialists and experts who explain and educate on these conditions. All of this to support parents to know that they are not alone, that healing is possible, and there are resources that can help you today. Listen into Mom and Mind and walk with me through the world of perinatal mental health.